segment tonight, the entire transgendered restroom issue is beyond crazy. Who wants to use gender-neutral toilets? Put your hand up. Nobody, right? I mean, no one. No one in history has ever publicly said out loud, you know what we really need to do in society? Force men and women to use the same loos. And why in the hell would you allow grown-ass men into the ladies' room at Target while my nine-year-old daughter was there trying to simply relieve herself? Using women's restroom at work for the last week. Nothing bad happened. Very, very stressful. Alice is a dude. By the way. <laughs> week 45 on estrogen. Estrogen is not a magic potion. As it turns out, as uh, that be a dude. Trend is spreading like, through society like the woke virus Elon Musk is warning us about. According to this loony newspaper, if you have a young daughter, you should be accepting of the fact that a transgendered boy could shower next to her after an athletic exposition. Welcome to Potty Like It's 2043, Middlebury's newest podcast exploring how your identity shouldn't be shaped by where you shit. Imagine this. It's a snowy morning in December 2043. Battelle Beach is buzzing with foot traffic and construction as the new Counseling and Health Service building, Padma Patton Memorial Health and Wellness Center, is being built. Middlebury campus is fresh off the press with a front page article titled, Bathroom Battlegrounds, Middlebury's newest building sparks debate. The Noodle is meeting to write an article about their predictions about whether or not the Panther mascot will come out as gender neutral. Students read the paper on their walks to class and discuss their thoughts. Should bathrooms even be contested grounds? Who cares where I go? In this future, the binary is weaker. Feminists are winning the gender battle against fascists, and what we today consider as gender nonconformity is a widely accepted norm. The patriarchy has subsequently began to crumble with the weakening of the binary, though its roots remain embedded in our systems. Similarly to 2023, the population of individuals identifying as trans, gender nonconforming, and LGBTQ+, has expanded rapidly as the acceptance and normalization of these identities have increased. Almost everyone has a copy of Judith Butler's Gender Trouble on their bookshelf, and although fascist protests, the U.S. education system now requires curriculum to incorporate accurate lessons about gender, race, and class. The entrance to Johnson radiates colored light as the trustee members gather to campus for faculty, students, and the administration to discuss the bathroom designs in the new Health and Wellness Center. What will these bathrooms look like? Should there be men's and women's? A few all-gender restrooms? Or are all-gender restrooms a thing of the past? As it turns out, Emma and I are the architects of this building, and we have been tasked with making the final decision about the design of the bathrooms. We want to create bathrooms that fit with the times and promote inclusivity and safety. But before we delve into our design plans, we must debunk misconceptions about gender and the binary that support the enforcement of gender-segregated bathrooms. Judith Butler is a storied feminist and gender theorist who works as a professor at the University of California at Berkeley. In their book, Gender Trouble, one of Butler's chief points is about the idea of gender performativity. They say that gender is a performance, and it proves to be so. It is not something that one simply gains along with their sex assigned at birth. The reason many of us feel our gender identity to be so strong and may say statements such as, I am a man or woman because I feel like a man or woman, points to the influence of gender performativity on our lives. Everything we do can be a performance of gender. Choosing to do a specific workout to look more masculine or feminine is a performance of gender. What color laptop case you purchase, drinking beer instead of hard seltzers or vice versa, can all be performances of gender. 
But one of the chief performances we participate in, probably daily, is picking a gendered bathroom to use. Gender bathrooms force us not only to make performance decisions, but to make those decisions within the scope of the gender binary. It does not allow room for gender non-conforming people to perform how they would like. Additionally, and maybe even more harmfully, gendered bathrooms take natural body functions that every person, whether cis, trans, non-binary, or intersex, does, and it turns it into a choice and performance that needs to be constantly acted upon. Throughout our lives, we are taught that only two genders exist and that sex is what genitalia you're born with. But Butler tells us that sex does not precede culture or language, and it is not inherent. Take animals, for example. One might argue that animals use their awareness of gender and sex to reproduce. However, animals do not have any concept of sexuality or gender, as they don't have a culture to define what gender and sex is to them. Culture is vital to gender. Gender norms varying across time and community are extremely different in various cultures. Thus, gender is not universal or stable. Animals, thus, do not have genders or sexes as many people would like to think that they do. Instead, humans apply their social construct of sex or gender onto animals and, in doing so, display the performativity of gender, as the application of gender onto animals is an act informed by their assumption about gender, and defining an animal's gender further plays into the performance. Jen Mannion, a scholar, author, and professor of women's and gender studies at Amherst College, outlined in her article, The Performance of Transgender Inclusion, how certain widely accepted behaviors can be harmful to transgender individuals. Compulsory pronoun sharing puts a spotlight onto people struggling with their gender identity and forces them to share parts of their identity they haven't decided or aren't ready to disclose. Thus, norms which may be perceived as progressive, such as sharing pronouns at the beginning of meetings, are not helpful at all to transgender individuals and only increase their anxieties. Likewise, choosing which gendered bathroom to use is stressful for transgender and gender non-conforming individuals. Gender is performed. However, just because it's a performance doesn't mean it's any less real in our society. By offering only gendered bathrooms, institutions are requiring people to perform their pronouns. If one's physical appearance doesn't match all or most of the preconceived conceptions of the bathroom they choose, they will face scrutiny and possibly discrimination or endangerment. Although a transgender woman might want to use the woman's bathroom, she may refrain from doing so if she feels that she'll invoke fear in other women because she looks too masculine. Although a gender non-conforming student may not want to use a gendered bathroom, they may have no choice and they may experience gender dysphoria, anxiety, and possibly ridicule from others if their appearance isn't mask or femme enough for the bathroom they choose. Gender is a part of one's identity, but not their sole defining characteristic. It is purely performative and constructed. Forcing individuals to decide which bathroom to use not only requires people to continue performing their gender, but it assumes that a person's gender is the main thing that matters about them, which thereby increases anxieties, especially for trans and gender non-conforming individuals in their own other gender performances. Going to the bathroom is a bodily function that almost everyone does, so why categorize bathrooms by gender, if at all? Historian and sexologist Thomas LaCour has written influentially about the concept of gender and how it relates to the one and two sex models. Before first wave feminism existed a one sex model. This model was the prevalent construction of sex for most of time until the early 1900s. The one sex was man, and the model defined women in terms of men. One example would be that the vagina was considered an inverted penis. There existed no distinct terminology for women's biology, 
and men's biological terminology was simply stretched, inverted, and molded to fit female bodies. Despite the existence of a sole sex, women were still subordinated through the idea of heat, a factor assumed to drive athleticism and sex drive along with other things. The idea was that female bodies had lower heat and therefore were not as good. Homosexuals were also subordinated through the same construct. As for black people, lesbians, and sexual women, well, they were seen as having abnormally high heat and therefore were also cast as odd and below the best types of man, a white, middle-class, straight man. The liberal and feminist revolutions of the early 1900s brought with it the collapse of the one-sex model. What followed was the two-sex model. Don't be fooled, though. The two-sex model, although it recognized women as its own distinct category, still sought to propagate misogyny and emphasize that women, along with all those who were not straight, white, middle-class men, were inferior to those men. With the advent of the two-sex model came a new slew of biological sciences that sought to enforce and validate the two-sex model. This looked like the inspection of genitalia, skeletal anatomy, and differences in orgasm. Biased scientific discoveries were pushed to the masses in order for the two-sex model to become seen as fact. As much as we trust science as a dependable source of evidence and information, we must remember that politics and agendas of control and power are often used to fund and create scientific findings. This brings home LaCour's main point. He shows us that gender and sex are far from scientific or inherent, but that they are deeply complicated by systems of power and oppression that influence how we see the world. If gender and sex and the models that define them change, if gender is performed and sex cannot truly be inherent or scientific, why are bathrooms split by a gender-sex binary? Like Butler showed that gender is performative and sex is not as set in stone as people would like us to think, American sexologist Anne Fausto Serling shows us that labeling infants as a boy or a girl is not a purely biological decision. And just like LaCour, Fausto Sterling shows us our current two-sex model is not adequate nor scientifically correct. This is because of the existence of intersex people. She tells us that almost two out of every 100 babies on average are born intersex, or 1.7% to be exact. An intersex person is anyone who has sex chromosome complements other than XX or XY. Therefore, as Fausto Sterling says, quote, the two-sex system embedded in our society is not adequate to encompass the full spectrum of human sexuality, end quote. What we can learn from Fausto Sterling is that not only does not everyone identify as a man or a woman, but not everyone is born a traditional man or woman, and therefore binary bathrooms, not even gender, but sex-wise, are not adequate enough choices for the population of this world. In her work, Verifying the Myth, Olympic Sex Testing in the Category Woman, Laura A. Wackwitz explores models of sex and their applications to gender roles and categorizations in our society, specifically in the sphere of athletics. Sex testing is a practice used in the Olympics to police people, especially women's bodies, and enforce the binary, and it is premised on the two-sex model. Sex testing in the Olympics has evolved from genital inspection to chromosomal testing to testosterone level testing. Though we often look to science for evidence about our bodies and world, science is always evolving, and sometimes scientists conduct research based on agendas that validate widespread misconceptions. Scientists search for biological validations of the two-sex model because the model is taken for fact rather than hypothesis. Many people assume that testosterone is a male sex hormone and is correlated with better athletic performance. However, in five myths about testosterone, Rebecca M. Jordan-Young and Katrina Carcasis disproved these misconceptions. 
Testosterone is found in both men and women's bodies, and quote, in almost all tissues, and it contributes to lean body mass, bone health, cognitive function, and mood, among other attributes, end quote. Testosterone does not have any proven association with athletic performance either. Quote, no study has ever concluded that you can predict the outcome of speed or strength events by knowing competitors' T-levels. And while T does affect parameters related to athleticism, including muscle size and oxygen uptake, the relationships don't translate into better sports performance in a clear-cut way." End quote. Debunking testosterone misconceptions is not the only method of revealing the flaws behind the sex testing. The mere existence of intersex people has challenged those who are loyal and committed to the binary. Many people claim sex is determined by genitalia. However, intersex individuals easily disprove this notion. The many flaws and changes in sex testing throughout the years suggest that the two-sex model is not something that is fixed, nor can someone's gender be tested for. Forcing people into gendered categories, especially when it comes to spheres as simple as bathrooms, thus has no scientific foundation, nor is it beneficial to anyone involved. Creating gendered bathrooms perpetuates the binary, which puts people into uncomfortable boxes under unattainable standards of how their gender performance should look. Natalie Wynn is an American political and cultural commentator who runs a YouTube channel called ContraPoints, which explains a wide range of topics, including trans rights and gender theory. In her video, Trans Trenders, Wynn explores what it means to be transgender today and dismantles the popular critique that being trans is a complete medical disorder and can't be due to feelings of identity. In the video, Wynn plays three characters, a debate mediator, a right-wing trans woman, Tiffany, who claims transness has to be due to gender dysphoria and needs a medical diagnosis to be acceptable, and Baltimore, the calm critic of the series, who presents the trans woman with a sparkly beard. Here's the best clip. I'm not an expert, but there's science showing that men and women have brain differences. I see. But your doctor never looked at your brain. So how did he know that you have gender dysphoria? Well, he asked me questions and I told him about it. And you told him what exactly? That I experienced gender dysphoria. So would you agree then that your gender dysphoria and therefore your identity is valid not because of any observed facts about your brain, but because of your feeling? There is so much hateful rhetoric that chooses to discount feelings in favor of medicine or science, but it is in fact the feelings and performances of a person that make their gender and identity real and valid. Wynn's video, and this clip in particular, are a brilliant critique of the idea that gender cannot be largely based on feelings. It shows once again that gender cannot be explained medically or scientifically. This is just another reason why binary gendered bathrooms are harmful. Someone may or may not feel like a man or a woman, and that is valid, or they may feel more masculine one day and feminine the next, but they should not be forced into discomfort and picking where they need to do their business. With the striking evidence against the binary in mind, we'd like to propose a design that will be safe and inclusive. Because gendered bathrooms can be physically and psychologically unsafe for gender non-conforming individuals, because the two-sex model is not medically or scientifically correct, because gender is a performance, that is, a choice we make, and because not everyone is biologically a man or a woman, all the bathrooms in the new building will be gender neutral. On each floor, there will be one large communal bathroom, as well as two single stall bathrooms. All bathrooms will be wheelchair accessible. Fun saved, not making a second, separate communal bathroom will be allocated toward providing hygiene products and maintaining a clean space. Each stall in the communal bathroom will have partitions and doors that span ceiling to floor 
as well as secure locks. Doing so will help ease the minds of any people worried about their safety when sharing a bathroom with someone who does not share their gender identity. If those people still do not feel safe in our securely designed stalls or prefer privacy, they can use the single person bathrooms. A trans person is not gonna attack you in the bathroom. If a man wanted to attack a woman that's using the restroom, he can just walk into the bathroom. He doesn't need to put on a dress and long hair to do it. There's something so toxic about looking at trans people like predators because we're more scared of you than you are of us at times. A debate over school bathrooms is playing out in the news and on social media this week. A couple of days ago, we told you about parents worked up over all-user, gender-neutral bathrooms at a new middle school in Lake Oswego. We created these spaces based on input from our students. So this was for them. It's a lot better. This is really clean. It's much more comfortable. Uh, I actually like don't like going to the bathroom outside of my own house. And these just kind of feel like a super safe place to be. Safe for her and her transgender peers. Celicia Kluth, a junior, likes how private the stalls are. But does she mind being right next to boys? No, not at all. Campbell says these bathrooms are actually easier to supervise and the new design hasn't led to more trouble. It is working for us. Well, no matter what your bathroom situation is like, they're gonna find somewhere else to do it, whether that's like outside, after school, or in just like the back of the class. I want to know just what makes you think it's okay to go inside the girl's bathroom. Because I'm transgender. I looked it up, that means I can use the girl's You are not transgender, Eric. You don't even know what that means. Yeah, huh? it means I live a life of torture and confusion because society sees me as a boy, but I'm really a girl. All right, well, if you identify yourself as a girl, you must find yourself attracted to boys. Is that right? That's actually not true. I can be transgender without it having anything to do with the gender I'm attracted to. Check the state bylaws. All right, listen, Eric. Erica. Listen, Eric. You must know why we can't have you in the girls' bathroom. All I know is I'm transgender, and you can't make me go to the bathroom with the cisgenders. With the what? Dawn, you're saying what? I'm saying that... Rather than build two toilets, mm -hmm. do a unisex one and spend the extra money on hygiene. There are a few things that all of us need. We all need air to breathe. We need clean water to drink. We need food to eat. We need shelter and love. You know, love is great, too. And we all need a safe place to pee. Yeah? As a trans person who doesn't fit neatly into the gender binary, if I could change the world tomorrow to make it easier for me to navigate, the very first thing I would do is blink and create single-stall, gender-neutral bathrooms in all public places. We would like to note that although the South Park clip does carry some harmful stereotypes, such as all trans people constantly suffering and being depressed, it does nail a few things. It dismantles the heterosexual matrix when Eric, or Erica in this clip, says they do not need to be attracted to boys if they are a trans girl, and it dismantles the idea that young trans folks do quote, not even know what they are saying or doing, end quote, and it critiques the many people that say that trans people can't use the bathroom they choose to, while those same people are not educated on other parts of gender theory, such as what a cisgender person is. By establishing communal and single bathrooms that are gender neutral, 
will be facilitating inclusivity, diminishing anxiety-provoking decisions gender non-conforming people are subjected to, and forcing no one to perform their gender to conduct natural bodily functions. Alongside the issue of binary gendered bathrooms exists a huge hairball or matrix of gender. While we did not get to cover this, we feel it is important to recognize it exists. Butler begins to form this matrix by proposing the idea of a heterosexual matrix in which society says everyone is born female or male and is attracted to the opposite sex. Many works have been produced that show that there is not only a heterosexual matrix, but a larger gender hairball in which class, race, empire, sexual orientation, and culture all affect gender. In this podcast, it was our main prerogative to debunk the necessity for the existence of bathrooms split by the gender binary. We feel we did so well and acknowledge that it is important to note that the authors and ideas we cited are not the only factors at play in gender theory. We'd like to thank Judith Butler, Jen Mannion, Natalie Wynn, Laura A. Wackwitz, Anne Foster Sterling, Rebecca M. Jordan Young, Katrina Carcasis, Sky News Australia, South Park, Fox News, Ben Shapiro, Dylan Mulvaney, Stephen Crowder, creators of This Morning, and KGW News for their findings that support this podcast or sound clips used in this podcast. Also, thank you, Professor Essig, for a great semester. Yeah, thank you guys for listening, too. Woohoo! Yay!